And now, the Mistaken Identity Podcast with David and Frank presents Cultural Conversations, a week-long series on race, religion, and inclusion. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent those of any team, business, or sponsor. Discretion is advised. This guest today is the son of a former Chicago Bears player. He took second place, his dad, on Soul Train. He had a work ethic that was incredible. He was a member of the Bears Super Bowl team. And in 1999, the NFL renamed the Man of the Year Award to his father, Walter Payton. It is my honor and privilege to have Jared Payton be our guest today. Welcome, Jared. Hi, everyone. All right, Jared. I know it's... uh, been a long road with this COVID going on. So how's your family uh, holding up with all this? Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me and hello to everybody that's watching. I was flipping through, looking at everybody dancing and doing all the crazy things and wearing the Bears gear. So that always makes me feel good. Uh, my my family, we're holding up. It's it's been it's been different. It's been a, especially for you know for my family, especially myself. I'm I'm very active and and love being around people and giving big hugs. And that's kind of changed now the way that I, I do things. And so um, just the fact that we're all healthy now, my um, basically the whole Peyton family, my sister, Brittany, my mom, they got COVID around uh, Halloween. And I didn't see them until later on, but my wife and I ended up getting it around uh December 5th and um, right before Christmas. And it was, it was horrible, but we got through it as a family and now everybody's healthy and we're just trying to just stay strong and and protect ourselves and protect everybody else that are around us. Great. And that is, it's a big, uh, when you're not around family, it's very difficult. That's for sure. So I'm glad that you're able to, uh, you know, kind of get back on track with that. So um, I know you're a sportscaster, and uh, you also are a co-host and have a foundation. So how is all that working out with uh, the situation that we're in? Oh, it's it's been, you know, I've been really blessed. The, the WGN has just been amazing. And, you know, in our business, we're one of those businesses and that doesn't, you know, shut down. And so, you know, I was very, very lucky. I, I Actually, it's kind of crazy to think about. I was going through when the pandemic started around this time, I was going through contract negotiations just to figure out, you know, what I was going to be doing. And I'm like, we're doing this during a pandemic, like, you know, and it was a scary moment, but I always knew that I was going to be at WGN for, for a long time. And um, just to be able to keep talking about sports and seeing all the difference, the different things that are happening in sports now and how we, we, we gather our sports, how we're taking it in, especially as the fans. And even for me who covers, you know, these teams, this is the first year that I haven't been on the road with the Bears or been at Soldier Field to be able to cover games. And so that's what I'm always used to. Um, but you know what? It, I didn't feel safe traveling. So for me, it was just as easy to be at home to watch the games. And I can't tell you guys the first <laughs> – I can't remember – first time I've been home to watch a Bears game like this is like the first season in I would say maybe like 
seven or eight years. And so it was cool to be able to, to sit down, uh, go to the bathroom and without any lines, if I want to eat my food at home without having to pay a little bit more money for food. And um, just to be able to kind of get the game from here and then report from home. So it became kind of the norm. Um, the foundation is we're in a different difficult situation right now. It's, it's, it's different. And we got to figure out how we're going to adapt as well, because times have changed when it comes to, you know, how people are, you know, people are still giving, but a lot of our events and stuff were in person. So, you know, we started when my wife and I started this over 10 years ago, it was a football camp for kids. And then, it turned into a bowling event and then a golf outing and a bags, a bags tournament. And so all these things have changed the way that we're doing things. So everything's been virtual so far, but um, you know, my goal is to keep figuring out ways to be able to impact kids. I've spoken to close to over 60, 70,000 kids in the Chicagoland area over the last 10 years. And so I know that I'm making an impact in teaching these kids that they have greatness inside of them and, um, that, you know, it, it started to be uh, started from like a bullying a campaign to now just really promoting kids and, and telling kids that, you know, they they have to love themselves before they can love anybody else and treat people with respect. And, and, and if you want respect, you got to give respect and, and that each of them has greatness inside of them. They just got to figure it out what it is they want to be great at. And um, uh, my goal is to help them try to get that to that road on that road if they're not already on it or keep pushing them to to figure that out. And that's something that my dad always and my mom, they both were instilled in me as a young kid. Fantastic. And uh, do you have quite a few people that volunteer with your program or and do you have full time staff or is it pretty much you <laughs> your wife or? <laughs> Kind of a combination. Uh, well, yeah, it's 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 a combination of a lot of people who who believe in 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 what I'm doing. And so for me, I always said the other night I was just on a, another Zoom call for um, Jewel Osco, and they really seen my vision and really backed me, and um, always are donating and helping to our foundation. And so I always said, like, to be 40 years old and to have people that see your vision and your mission and they want to help out because they see it as well. To me, that's the definition of success for me. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about, you know, how many touchdowns you score, how many yards you have. It's that that long lasting impact that you can have on people that can, you know, take in their walk through life and take one thing from you, whether it's a kid or a grown up, to be able to take that and say, holy cow, I can use this in my life. And uh, we have a lot of volunteers that really see my vision, that believe in it. Uh, but my wife, definitely, she, my wife runs everything around here at the house. So she runs the foundation, she runs my life, she runs my schedule and we've done it together, but we've also, you know, we've, we've also grabbed through the years have grabbed a lot of people who, you know, in our arms who are uh, holding us up as well. And so a lot of different people that are helping us out, but yeah, we don't have a full-time staff. It's all volunteers. That's great. And I'm sure if there's anyone that's uh, watching today, if uh, later you can uh, put out how someone could get involved, I'm sure a lot of them would appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, uh, actually, it's real easy, jaredpayton.org. If you want to get have a chance to see what we're doing or, you know, as we go down the line, you could figure out how when we get back to a little bit of normalcy, we can, you know, we, we always love people coming out and helping and seeing what we're doing and, um you know, helping to, to, to pass the, the word around, because that's really how we've done it is by good people, 
and people being around. And I'm just blessed to have some really, really good people around me. And um, very, very lucky that they believe in me. And, and that really kind of strengthens me on a daily basis. Great. Um, to switch gear a little bit, uh, your first couple of years in high school, you played soccer. And then he switched over to football. Was your dad an influence at all on that? Or was that strictly you? <laughs> oh, man. You know, a lot of people don't know that about, they don't really know that I played soccer, that I was an all-state soccer player. Uh, it was, soccer was my passion from when I was four years old. But now, you know, having kids myself and seeing them playing all these different sports, I basically only played one sport for a long time. And so soccer was the only thing I did day in and day out from four years old to my sophomore year in high school. And I just got burnt out just by doing one sport. And so I wish I would have done multiple sports and played as many things as possible because it breaks it up a little bit. But yeah, I played for a while. And after my sophomore year, I was just, I was tired. And I was a little bit upset too, because I played with this kid, Nino Da Silva. He was the uh, Gatorade National Player of the Year. He was a senior. He had 45 goals, 15 assists, and I had 35 goals and 15 assists. And I was a sophomore. And when the Parade All-American list came out, my name wasn't on it. And I remember going at my dad like, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. I'm one of the best players in the country. I'm not getting recognized. He said, son, listen, you're young. Relax. It's going to take some time. Like, keep working at it and it will come. And I was like, this doesn't make sense that like, if you're good and your numbers say that you're good, they should be, they should, it should reflect that. He's like, but you're young, just relax, take, take a breath. And I just got frustrated and um, I was getting no, no letters because I was so young for colleges, but I was getting all these letters for football. Like then I never played and I never played organized football in my life ever. Not as a kid. And I played like, running around in gym class, but that was basically it. So I'm getting all these letters from these big time schools, like Notre Dame, Michigan, and they're all flooding in and I'm putting them in these big boxes. I'm like, and they're standard letters, but I'm like, maybe this is an opportunity to get a scholarship and let's just try it out. And um, my junior year, I tried it out, got beat up pretty well. And cause everybody was gunning for me. You know what it was? It was the Sun-Times article that they did on the back of the sports page with me i had like this hemp necklace on shaved head and i was throwing the ball like this and everybody was gunning for me and um so i took my lumps that year and came back my senior year and uh, did pretty well and um had close to i would say 60 uh full offer full rides to all everywhere you can imagine in the country except for michigan that's where i wanted to go that's the only big 10 school that didn't offer me and i'm still upset about that right now <laughs> So do you think uh, when you look back on that, do you think uh, because of your dad's name when you were playing, people really had it out for you on the field? I mean, yeah, I think so. Way? Yeah, they did. They wanted to they, they wanted to kind of make their name as well. And, um, you know, I knew that from a young age, honestly, you guys. So um, as a kid, my mom still talks about it to this day when I was playing soccer and I would be on the field and we all know. That's a different kind of football, right? And everybody, these parents would be at tournaments in Rockford and these parents would just get on the field. I'd be dribbling down by the line and they would yell at me, you'll never be like your dad. And I would stop 
and I'd literally have the ball in my foot and I'd be like, are you serious? And someone would steal the ball away from me. And my dad would always sit me down and say, don't be like me, be better than me. That's what he would always tell me. And I didn't get what he was saying because he, to me, he was the best. So I'm like, how can I be better than you? And you are the best. And he wasn't talking about on the field. He was just talking about in life. He wanted me to be that person that he knew that sports would end one day. And I was going to have to be a good person. I was going to have to be in the community. And how did I treat other people? And I, now I understand what he was talking about. So for me, I always took that along with me. So the people gunning for me, it was okay. But what I did with it my senior year, that's the way you got to combat that. So the guys that took shots at me my junior year, they had to see me again my senior year. And I made it one of my goals going into my senior year that summer that I was going to work out and get myself in tip-top shape. So I went from 180, 180 pounds my junior year to like 205 my senior year. And so I kept my speed up. And so every team that beat me up, I didn't care if we won or lost. I was going to make sure that <laughs> that I got a couple licks in as well. And they felt me. And it was crazy because I would, guys would tackle me and they'd be like, man, he's way bigger this year than he was last year. And that's what you got to do. That's great. Now, did you get the opportunity to work out with your dad once in a while or? No, I did. That's the, that's, that's funny. You asked that. I was just thinking about that. I never really got a chance to, and um, my dad really stayed, He's, he he tried to stay out of the sports for me, especially when I got the football. I thought he would be like hands on. And a lot of the reason why I did it was that was a, one of the biggest reasons I wanted him to to teach me and to, to learn from him. And, um, you know, I only had two years of high school football before he passed away. So in um, my senior year was when he started to really get sick. So we didn't get a chance to really do it. But. I did get a chance to watch him a lot and there's, you can't tell me anything different. I know he's my dad. I know I live in Chicago. I know I'm a bears fan. Um, my dad is the, if you're talking about pound for pound football players, not like running backs, quarterbacks, like everybody talks about Tom Brady. My dad pound for pound is the best. He's the most complete football player that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, the most complete he could do pretty much anything and that's a testament to how hard he worked and he worked harder and I was telling my son this the other day um because my son's a little athlete as well he's eight years old and um I was just telling him I was just, that you know to be great sometimes you got to be obsessed especially in sports like you got to be obsessed with your craft you gotta love it you can be good at something but if you're going to be great at something um you got to sacrifice something. And like my dad sacrificed a lot of stuff, especially in the summertime when we would go on trips, he would, he made all this money for us to be able to go on trips and he would stay in Arlington Heights and he'd be running the hill all summer long. And people would be like, all these other people would be going on trips, going, taking their family places, but he had to sacrifice something in the summer. So he worked. And so when he got to the game, it became easy because he was already ready for the game because he prepared himself while other guys back in the eighties were using training camp to get into shape. He was already in shape. And so he took it a step further. And so um, him being obsessed with his, his work ethic and his, his grind 
I think that was one of the things that elevated him to be where he was in the game of football because five eight, I mean, he was maybe five ten, five nine, maybe two hundred pounds, but he just outworked everybody, and he never he didn't play his size. He played like he was someone that was six feet tall, and so um, that's one of the things that I didn't get on the field that I didn't use that on the field that work ethic, but I think. I understand that work ethic now outside of football. And I think that's what's helped me in my day-to-day life and all the things that I'm doing right now. Yeah, because he was definitely known to run that hill. And uh, so how old were you when you had the opportunity to uh, run the hill and it kick your butt like it, uh, everyone says it just uh, halfway up, you're just burning your thighs and so forth. And so, yeah, by the time that I got a chance to run the hill, it was, it was almost, it was gone already. They were building, the building stuff around there. So hold up, but down the street, about 15, 20 minutes down the road, there's another hill that's off the highway. And I used to run that one, but it's not as steep as the one my dad used to run but it's a little bit longer and I can only imagine. So funny, funny story. Cause some of you might know this story. And when I tell kids this story, they don't they're like, they have no clue. But if anybody remembers the Charlie club back in the day, it was like 24 hour work. It was like 24 hour workout spot. It was like um, lifetime fitness before lifetime fitness. And they had a bar inside and my dad would work out late at night. And so one night he was in the bar and this guy was talking all this trash to him saying that he couldn't lift, he couldn't lift what he could lift. And so my dad's like, listen, if I do your workout, you got to do my workout guys. And this guy's like a big muscle guy. He's like, yeah, let's go. So they're doing deadlifts and squats. And my dad's doing all this big, huge weight and he didn't lift a lot of weights. And so he's like, listen, tomorrow I want you to meet me at the hill gave him the address and this guy's trying to get through. And back then you got to like climb through like a fence to get there and then walk 10 minutes to get to the hill. The guy ran it three times. And after the third time he collapsed and they had to call the ambulance to come get this guy and take him to the hospital because he started cramping up and he couldn't move. And my dad was sitting over him, told him, he said, listen, I can do what you do, but you can't do what I do. And the guy looked at him, he had some oxygen. He was like, I'll never do this again. And they took him (laughs) to the hospital. So that's how crazy that hill was that he used to run. Wow. That's unbelievable. And I'm sure uh, that story will live on for quite a few years. That's for sure. (laughs) So you were only five when your dad won the Super Bowl. So how long did it take you to really realize, you know, what he went through to to accomplish that? Probably not until I was in high school to truly understand. I remember, um, you know, being in the business, you know, in TV now, I've been, I've had the the pleasure and honor to cover championships here in, in the city, you know, like just to see the Stanley Cups and be a part of that, be a part of, uh, you know, when the, the Sox winning, I wasn't here. I was still in college. I was still kind of moving and playing football at the time. So I wasn't covering, but to see the, the Cubs win the World Series and, you know, all these things, it, it's just amazing because you go, holy cow. And I remember how the city was, but people tell me in 85, the grownups who are a little bit more mature than I am tell me the, 
the the feeling that this city had at that time that there's never been anything like it before and I just remember those little cards they used to give out these little trading big they were like big trading cards at McDonald's or or I think that yeah they were at McDonald's and you would go buy something and they give you these big cards I have a couple downstairs and my dad and I just remember how crazy people were going over that 85 team and I remember that part, but I don't think I knew how much work he put in until, you know, I got to high school to really see the years here in the seventies when he got here, how bad the bears were and how many times he carried the ball certain seasons. I mean, he was carrying the ball sometimes over 300 times a year. And, you know, he only missed one game and that was his rookie year. So he played with a lot of injuries. People don't know how many injuries. He played with separated shoulders. He played with, you know, uh, just messed up high ankle sprains, which most people would take like, you know, maybe four or five games. He just, that wasn't a part of him. And so um, now dealing back, I've had a time, a chance to talk to some of his old teammates. Like I got a chance at my sister's wedding. It was Matt Suey, um, Calvin Thomas, it was uh, Dennis Gentry, and we were all sitting down. And I said, listen, if you tell me something about my dad that you don't know. And they were like, Jerry, in the 80s, your dad, one game, sprained his ankle. He left in a walking boot. He's like, we were practicing the rest of the, the next week, thinking that one of us was going to start in his place. He's like, we didn't see your dad from Monday. We didn't see your dad Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Sunday came around, we get to Soldier Field, and your dad comes into the locker room. And he had a bad high ankle sprain. And he goes, we didn't see him all week. He comes in, suits up, and he goes out and he rushes 400 yards. And we were all sitting there. We were, And they were all nervous because they were going to get a chance to start. So everybody's like, who's going to start? No one knows. And my dad like basically comes in with a Superman cape on is like, nah, maybe another week. I'm not missing the game. But a big reason for that is for the people that are on this call right now. He, he didn't do it. It, this, it wasn't it, it was a pride thing, but it was also for people that watched him play on Sundays. He didn't want people to miss out on an opportunity to be able to see him play either on TV or paying their harder money to come to Soldier Field and watch him. There could be a person coming to see him for that one game. And if he wasn't there, he felt bad. And so that was in his heart on a daily basis. And so, you know, when I talk about the fans and how much they meant to him, he, I'm not just, it's not lip service. Like that was a, that was a real thing to him. And it was a part of how he calculated on trying to get himself ready to play every single week. So, um, just I wanted people who watched him in the 80s to know that that's what 70s and 80s, that's what he was all about. He was about not just himself, but knowing that people were watching and they enjoyed watching him and he did not want to disappoint. And I will say going through some videos, um, he brought that up quite often, the pain yeah. and what he went through. But like you said, he wanted to be out there for us as fans. And that's just incredible. Yeah, he was. Um, and he was, he was, I just get chills when I think about him. He's, he was amazing. He was, but he, the on the field stuff was amazing. Now that I understand the game so much more, I have such a, a, a respect for how he played. I think the respect for the person goes even further. He was, 
he was a uh, man. He just, he was a good man. And like I tell people all the time, he was not perfect by any means. He was like all of us. He had his flaws. He was not perfect, but he did things. He, 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 he always had good intentions when it came to people and he wanted to make sure everybody was feeling good. And he always, it was crazy because, you know, eighties, seventies and eighties, someone told me a story the other night about how we, my dad used to go to these big swanky parties, you know, with my mom and like the out in like Northbrook and they would all be wearing tuxedos and all this stuff. And one of the, he's not a kid anymore. He's my age. One of the kids, they were, they would always go to this point and they have like a party for the kids downstairs. And my dad knew, like, as soon as he walked in, every all eyes were on him. Like, everybody was staring at him. Everybody was looking at him. And he just was like, like, he didn't want all the attention. So what he would do was always first beeline downstairs to the kids because he knew the kids weren't ever going to judge. They were just excited to see him. And, like, they would, he would sit down and talk with them. And the grown-ups would be upstairs, like, where's Walter? Where's Walter? Where is he at? And my dad would stay downstairs for, like, he's, he said, my dad was downstairs for an hour and a half with the kids doing stuff with them and like playing with them and all the grownups are like, well, come upstairs. My dad's like, no, I'm good. No, it's going to be down here. And the kids said he just remembers that. For, he'll remember that for the rest of his life. And those are those moments, you know, he, he always, he always gave people time. And in that day and age for me being 40, every day I go somewhere, I hear a story about when someone met him, and this is before the internet, this is before social media. He always gave people time and it didn't matter where we were. And I just, I think I respect the, that the most about him. That's uh, some great stories there with him spending the time with uh, the kids and so forth. So you were 12 when you uh, gave the introduction to your dad into the hall of fame. That had to be just, you had to be sky high. Nervous, yeah. but just elated that you had that opportunity. Uh, sure about that. Let me tell you, I was, uh, I was super nervous. I, I, I was so nervous because my dad's good friend was supposed to uh, do the induction and then he got sick. And so I remember my dad coming home one day and I was in the kitchen and he was like, he walked past me and he, he, I was, I had my back to him when he came in. And then as soon as he walked by, he then beeline back over to me. He's like, you know what? I think you're going to induct me into the hall of fame. And I was like, huh? Like, what, what do you mean? He was like, I think you could do it. We'll get, you'll get a speech together. You could go up. And I was like, I, I was that kid that was super scared to get up in front of his middle school class and say anything and do a speech or do a presentation. So I didn't know how I was gonna get up and so in front of all those people. So come next two weeks after that, the Football Hall of Fame sends a book to my house and I open up and I remember looking at it and go, reading in it and it says, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is seen by thousands in the crowd and millions on TV. And I was like, I shut the book. I said, nope, not doing it. I'm not doing it. And our housekeeper, Miss Luna, she helped me write the speech. And we just, it was repetition after repetition after repetition over and over again. And getting up on that stage, uh, my dad, people don't know this, my dad and I, we actually had a 
big argument that morning, nothing crazy. It was over, um, he bought me all these really nice suits and it was hot outside. And as a kid, I, when I got nervous, I sweat through everything. So I was super nervous because I was like, I'm gonna be on stage, it's hot out. They don't really have any fans up there. So he was telling me that I couldn't wear undershirt underneath my button up shirt, which I still do to this day. I always have a white shirt underneath my shirt, just always how I've always rocked it. And then um, he was like, no, you can't wear one. I was like, okay. So he left out of the room. I put my shirt on, buttoned it up real quick and then kind of put the tie on, but I didn't know how to tie the tie. So he didn't check, but that moment after doing this, after doing that speech, I remember making a funny, um, I, at the beginning, everybody was clapping and I, I, I waved everybody down and I made a joke because if I joke with people, it calms me down. So I said, please, you guys sit down. I just want to get this over with. And everybody started laughing. And then I went and did the speech and uh, the hug that my, my dad gave me afterwards. Uh, I knew he was proud of me after that hug because like he whispered in my ear, I'm proud of you. And I was like, thanks, dad. And to be the first son to ever induct his father into the Hall of Fame, there's not a lot of firsts that I can say that I've done. And that right there in the record books, I will always be first. And so, you know, it's one of those moments that people say is one of the most memorable moments of watching Hall of Fame speeches. So to be a part of that, I think my dad knew what it would be, what it would mean for my legacy. And um, I'm just glad he, he, he asked me to do it. Fantastic. That that's, Looking, uh, going over some of those videos and seeing that, that just touched my heart because I grew up and uh, graduated in the 70s and watched him play football and knowing how much that had to have meant for him and definitely for you. So, yeah, I had a lot, I had a little bit more hair back in the day <laughs> too, but it's okay. Yeah. So, since we're focusing on uh, Black History Month, a um, couple questions on this. Um, going through some videos, your dad was asked if he encountered racism when he was growing up. And your dad said he could see it. And one of the things is that when it's there and you know it, there you can deal with it. When did he talk to you about racism and how have you gone through your life with it and now with your son and daughter how are they handling the situation well I think for me it was um the same thing I've always been very curious um my dad and I we had the awesome relationship we I mean we didn't really go back to his past a lot you know when we talked he was always you know as a father he was always focused on me and my future but we didn't go back into the past. And so a lot of things that I've had to figure out, I've had to ask questions about. And so I had to ask questions just about certain things in, um, in back in the day. And, you know, one of the things that really jumps out to me is my dad's school, high school was one of the first schools to be integrated back in, in uh, Columbia, Mississippi. And um, he, you know, people were, blacks and whites were fighting and, and arguing and it seemed like during the week but when my dad switched over to play football his junior year people didn't see color on a Friday night they would come out to see him play and they forgot about everything else that was going on in town all the all the fighting and the back and forth for that time on that Friday night while my dad was on the field and um, that's 
hearing that story from people telling me that just shows me how big sports are when it comes to all this that you know we were talking before everybody jumped on about when people are going to feel comfortable sitting next to that person you know that with covid now next to them but that was the one thing that i loved about you know sitting at going to a game it didn't matter who was sitting next to you if you both love the same team you're high-fiving that person you're not wondering where they come from or their background they're fans they, they, they love what you love and so I, I love that. And, and that story make, brought it all back to center for me that sports is one of the most amazing things when it comes to bringing people together. For myself, I mean, we've always had the conversations, you know, growing up, my parents did just about, you know, me living in South Barrington, being, you know, going to predominantly white schools and um, just having, and also who I am as a person, and what my last name was, that there was always going to be difficulties. But I think some of the things, the things that I've experienced have come of people who don't know who I am, you know, like walking into a store and being in the store, someone following me around, wondering why I'm in the store, you know what I mean? Just little things where it's, it's kind of those little things for me that I've dealt with. And then also, too, just the the name calling and 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 things that, that happened in in, high, in middle school for me with certain friends and um, with people using words that I, that I knew weren't right because my parents told me don't no one should ever call you this right mm -hmm. and having to defend myself but even through those situations like if you can see them and go through them man they only they can take you one way. And I've always taken everything, good or bad, as a stepping stone to something else. And I've used it. I will never, ever let it bring me down. I'm gonna figure out, it might, I might not be successful, I might not get it right away, but I will figure out how to be able to use it to, to strengthen me and to help me get to something else or to use that to be able to help motivate other people, to let them see through my experiences what I've been through. So. Um, with my kids, it's the same thing. We, they're still young. Um, they are, and both of my kids, it's which is going to be interesting for my wife and I is uh, having mixed kids, white, half white, half black, like how they're going to deal with it as they grow up. And um, something I'm still, we've had a couple experiences, but you know, as a father, as a parent, that's going to be my, that's, that's what, that's my job to figure out how to be able to help them navigate through life and give them those tools um, and, and take some of the stuff that I've learned through my process and be, hopefully help them through their walk. And I'm sure you have a open door with your kids to please come to you if something does happen and you're there to support them in any way you can. Yeah, you have to, if it's, it, that's the only way. I mean, you gotta be able to, to know that you guys, you can talk about anything. I'd rather them come to me and ask questions than to go somewhere else, especially now, right? With all these things, figure yes. you can you can Google, write it, and you might get the wrong answer, but you might get something else. So I'd rather them, you know, come to me and ask the question. And good or bad, um, you got to you got to give them the right answer, and hopefully, and help them kind of figure it out. Uh, because at some point, they're they're not going to be underneath you anymore. Um, eventually they will leave and go somewhere, whether it's school and you got to hope that the, the life lessons that you, you taught them, help them make those decisions when, when mom and dad aren't there. Now your dad, um, was hoping to become the first minority owner 
didn't happen. How he had to be totally devastated and did he talk about it much or did he pretty much let it go just because? He, he didn't really talk about it. It was, um, it was devastating for him. So it was, that was, I think that was right before, you know, a little bit before he passed away. And I think it was just a, I think it was a big blow. He, that's one of the things that he always wanted to do. It's, uh, he loved the game of football. He wanted to be a part of it. And, um, you know, I, I always think about that. I think about how my life would definitely be a lot different and how it would have changed if he would have, you know, got that team in St. Louis. And at that, that moment would have altered a lot of, of everything. Like, would we still be in Chicago? Would we have moved to St. Louis? And, you know, where I'd be now and what would be, would I be a part of, would I be a part of day-to-day -day stuff right now? You know what I mean? Like yeah. just little tiny things and that's something I'm passionate about anyway. So, um, but yeah, he was, it was one of the things that really hurt him the most because he really wanted to be a part of that. But the same way that I was first with the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame speech, I think he wanted to be the first as well. And so when you put in so much hard work as he did and, the going around shaking hands and, 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 you know, being nice to everybody and talking to people and figuring things out. He felt kind of like the rug was pulled under from him, but that's what happens, you know, and it just goes to show it doesn't, doesn't really matter what your last name is. Um, I think some of it had to do with uh, the, some of the people that he was involved with as well that were in, 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 in the process of the ownership group. So, it wasn't all just it wasn't all him, but I know he he felt like it kind of fell back on him just because of his name and his status. You were there at the press conference um, when he discussed that he had cancer. Um, can you take us back on how hard that was for him and what it was for you? Um, yeah, it was a uh, I was at school that day, so I got the phone call. I kind of knew something was coming. I just didn't know when, um, when I got the phone call to leave school and to drive over to the hotel where the radio show was, I, he didn't have to tell me anything or no one, you know, his office told, called and said I had to leave. So I kind of knew something was up. A lot of people were just kind of, you know how it is. People were speculating a lot of stuff before and seeing stuff. And so for him, um, as much as he wanted to keep it private, he just couldn't anymore. And as much as we wanted to keep it private, and I think he probably wanted to do that for us, we kind of just knew that that just that wasn't going to happen. That he had to do he had to do that. And you know that day was it was a it was a crazy day because of something that you as a family are dealing with, and then now the whole world knows what's going on. That was the weirdest part. For me, for me, as a high school kid, I just, not only were we dealing with it, now everybody else knew. And so, um, yeah, he was, but I felt like he was relieved though a little bit after that day. Like he, he was, he had like weight off his shoulders. And I think that's what helped him kind of keep fighting for as long as he did after that, because he didn't feel like he was holding it in. And um, yeah, that time when he, at the end, when he said what he said and he, kind of fell into my arms it was kind of like um it was a weird moment because that's normally that's what 
I'm supposed to do as a kid to him. You know, like I'm supposed to fall into his arms. Not like he he's not supposed to, he's he's the guy that's Superman. He's the guy that jumped over people standing up into the end zone. But now he's he's leaning on me. And um I just felt a little bit more responsibility in that moment that I needed to not be some I didn't have to be him, but you know, I had to I had to grow up a little bit faster. And um I think the battle for me was after that period of going places and everybody knowing my business and people looking at me and me thinking, what, what are they thinking? Like, are they going, oh, he he's must be in a bad mood. And so the only way that, I mean, I was always, I'm never really in a bad mood, but during those times, it was kind of iffy on day to day of how I was feeling. Like, I just didn't know. And like, everybody has bad days, but just trying to keep a smile on my face. So because I was always thinking, okay, are they looking at me? They know. And then you can see people talking about you like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. And as a high school kid, it's, it was rough because we're, we're trying to deal with this in our own house. And we also got to deal with stuff that was going on. But I have to say this, the outpour of love from people all around the world, that, that was something, that was the moment where I knew how big he actually was. Like I, I think before that it was just about he being here in Chicago and what he meant to Chicago. That moment changed when we were getting letters from England and like I'm talking about, I'm talking about bags, garbage bag, huge garbage bags daily of mail of people writing letters from all over the world, and I'm going, holy cow! And uh, that one day, we were in his office and he's at his he was at his desk and I was at the table. And I was opening up letters and he, I heard his voice and he just said, I never knew. I said, what do you mean? And I looked up, I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I just never knew that I meant this much to people. And we, and I don't think we said anything after that. And we were in that room for another 45 minutes and just opening up stuff. But it, I think it opened both of our eyes of, of what he meant to people and the impact that he truly had. So pretty special. And when they had the service at uh, Soldiers Field, yeah. that to me was also piggybacking on the uh, backing that he had and all the letters. Just at that time, that to me proved how big of a, you know, person he was to so many people. Yeah, he, he, he was. And, um, you know, the Bears have, have always been their family. And they they are awesome. The whole the McCaskey family is awesome, and like what everything of of just being able to have that relationship with them and trying to figure out. And everybody was worried that day because they didn't know how crazy it would be. So they kind of like the, the whole schedule of like when they announced that they were having the service, and like they didn't want they didn't want to. Everybody didn't want to go, and it was all of us. Every our family were like, dude, this could actually get like really really crazy. But everything happens for a reason, right? And um, that day was special because there was so uh, all of our family was here by that time, like on my dad's side as well. And um, just to kind of have everybody here to be able to celebrate his life and in his second home, which was Soldier Field. I mean, that was, I always call that his vacation home because that's where he was most of the time, all the time, you know? And to be able to do that was, uh, 
was very special. And to see the Bears that, that year that were that squad and out there and being there, it just really showed that family was all together. And so pretty cool moment. And then the last thing is having his statue. Oh, oh it's amazing. I get chill. I just got chills when you said it's that is <laughs> that is it's the it is the craziest thing, you guys. Like, so I knew, like, uh, I would say a year before that this was like happening, and I couldn't say anything, but I was in on all the whole entire process. And the day that we we my mom and I flew to to um where we, uh to pennsylvania where they were where it was being constructed and i walked into this room and i saw this clay the clay statue of him you got i'm not i every time i think about it it chills through my body his this thing i've never and he didn't the guy who was making it did not have the face mask on he only had the helmet so I'm looking at the face and my mom is standing next to me and she looks at me and she goes, I really think he's going to move right now. Like this stat looks like he is, a, he's literally going to come off of this thing and hit the way his eyes look. My mom said though that his eyes are perfect. And um, yeah, to, to be able to, I know everybody, there were so many things people were like, well, we wanted to see him this, we wanted to see him be doing this. And I was like, when I look at him, in that statue, every time I walk past it and to see people sharing it when I had last year, two years ago at games and I'd walk by and people would be in line to take a picture with it. I just, I'm going, holy cow, like that actually looks like him. And I always walk by and I'm like, hey pops. And I just like go in or when I'm leaving cause I'm one of the last people to leave Soldier Field on a game night. And I walk by and there were a couple nights where I uh, sat there and talked with them for a while because it just, it just seems so real, but it's it's also a testament to everything that he he did for the organization and for the city. And um, statues don't get put up for everybody. Now I don't care who you are. Like it's it's rare. I'm hoping that they my wife puts one or my family puts one up of me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I want one. But the thing is, it's. It's a cool moment, and I think our family is super, super excited and blessed to be able to share that with the whole entire city. Fantastic. Um, I think we're going to open it up to some others that uh, have some questions. So uh, if you don't mind, Rahav. Yeah, um, I was just going to go off of some things I read in the chat first, and then we'll get to Larry's question. I see his hand is up. Um, we had John actually, John is a supervisor. He actually, it's not a question that he had a comment. He said, you and your family are the epitome of a class act. I've seen you play as a soccer player and basketball player in your age group and high school, and you and your family were always terrific. Um, so that's just a little message from John. But Nick Spencieri is asking, it's actually kind of a funny question. Um, where'd it go? I lost it. Did Ditka ever apologize to your dad for not allowing him a chance to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl? <laughs> you guys, I hear that question. People talk about that more than anything. Like that is the one thing that I think we hear the most all the time. It's so crazy because let's say he did score, but people talk about it as much. The fact that he didn't score is like what people talk about the most. And um, he, he taught he every time Dick sees me, he brings that up. 
Nick, he brings it up every time. He always says, you know, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, coach, it's okay. It's okay. Like, let's, you know, and my dad, he was cool with it too. After a while, he was upset at the, at the beginning because yeah, you work so hard to get to that moment. We were talking about it earlier about how hard it is to get to that point. Some athletes don't even get a chance to win a championship. They don't even get a chance to play for one. You know, you look at guys like Patrick Dewan from the Knicks, like, Guys that my dad was friends with that never got a chance to play, even play for one. But the fact that he got one over time, he really, um, he really started to see that. And he told me, he's like, you know, now I understand I'm a champion and it's not really about that, but they were, everybody was gunning for him too. So he became kind of like the decoy that game. And uh, probably the reason after his fumble at the beginning of the game, like, Patriots might not have scored at all if he doesn't fumble that ball. So it's everything. It, it just wasn't the game that he hoped for that you probably dream of as a kid. But that's just kind of sometimes how it shakes itself out. But yes, Dicka always says um, he's sorry. Awesome. And then we have Larry. I'm going to unmute him. Larry, so if you could unmute. and then oh, Thank you very much for your time today. Um, so you obviously have a couple kids. What? In light of all the brain damage that you hear about today from players, what are your thoughts on your kids playing? Um, I, Larry, I just had this conversation uh, over the last couple of days with my son. He says he wants to play. Uh, he plays baseball, soccer, basketball. Um, it's a it's a big deal. My mom, I think my mom is probably the biggest. She really doesn't want uh, my son to play, but. Yeah, I've met a lot of people. Yeah, we see a lot of the CTE, and then we see a lot of guys that don't have it as well that are that are fine. So it's it's by the, it's really by the person. That's what I'm. I really try to stress. Like you can't. It's it's a weird deal because you look at Dick Buckus, right? Look at the way that he played the game. Honestly, I don't. I've never heard anything about him. But then you look at a guy like Gail Sayers, right? And you're like, holy cow! And like by the end of his career. Even my dad, I think about him, if he was around for a little bit longer, would we have seen any signs because of how tough and hard he played? Um, I don't I don't have a problem with my son playing, but I told him, like I'm going to tell you guys, um, this game, if you're going to play this game, I got to, especially, you got to you gotta be dedicated and you have to be, um, got to be a stand-up individual. Uh, this is a game that is, it, it, when you step into those lines, it is not easy. And my dad told me that from the beginning. It's the reason why a lot of people don't play this game. And now it's gotten bigger, faster, and stronger. So, um, but if you show me you're dedicated and it's something that you want to do, you know, we, we could start off with flag football and we can go from there. But we always have to have a starting point. And um, my goal is, to, like I tell them all the time, it's, it is not easy. And, you know, these kids grow up now these days and they look at all these guys on TV and they think it's like, oh, they're just out there catching the ball and they're doing all these. Man, the work to go into football is like no other. So um, around the house, these guys show me you clean up after yourself. You're doing your homework when you're asked or even when you're not asked like those things. School first. You show me that dedication in school. We could talk about anything, but school's always first. And if you can show me that and how you, you know, cleaning up at home and all the chores, you do that stuff, then we can talk because uh, I've seen that if you don't have those type of things and those skills and understand that, 
you will not be able to play the game of football. It's just not going to happen because it's all, it's about memory. It's about being disciplined. It's about, you know, not jumping off sides. It's all that stuff. Eventually it's going to happen, but the good ones find ways that when they do it to not do it again, that mistake and correct their mistakes. So uh, I'm a stickler on making sure that school's first, how you act at home is first. We could talk about anything sports wise, but I don't have an issue with him playing. He's just got to, he's got to show me that he, he, he deserves to play the game. Thank you. Um, it looks like we might have one more question. It's going to be from Renee. So Hi, Renee. Can you comment on your uncle Eddie uh, on any story that he may have about your father as a young man that might be funny for the group? Um, <laughs> my, you know, I, I just, um, I think about the times when my uncle would come up here to Chicago and, you know, him being a golf pro. Yeah. I don't, people, a lot, people don't know that about him and they don't also know that how good he was as a kick returner in, yep. in, in the NFL. Like he was, yes, he, was. He, he was legit. And so the fact that he's, he was good enough to, to do both, but him and my dad would go to the driving range and my dad would try to, they would, my uncle was always pinpoint on like getting the ball right where it needed to go. And my dad would get frustrated. He would get so frustrated. So he would, he didn't take out a driver, but he'd take out his two iron and he would just destroy these balls. And he would tell them, him, my uncle was like, you know, well, listen, you can't hit him. You can't hit him as close to the pin as I can, but you can drive him. So why don't we work this way? You drive. And I get him closer to the pin, man. And so they would all, he would joke with him and my dad would be furious and we would leave there. But it was just cool to watch two brothers interact with one another because, you know, people forget sometimes with, with my pops being, you know, so good that my, my dad was on his way to, uh, he was on his way to Kansas. So people don't know this. My dad went to Jackson State. He was supposed to go to Kansas. He was about to get on the plane in Jackson to go to Kansas. And my uncle came to the gate and said, whoa, 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 where are you going? So Kansas is waiting for him, coaches and everybody at the airport. Like, Walter's coming in. We got a freshman. This is going to be great. And my uncle grabbed him and said, you're not going anywhere. And he brought him back to his dorm at Jackson State. And he's he was living in his dorm for a couple of days. And the people from Kansas were like, where is Walter? Where is like, and so the fact that he brought him back, and that's how my dad ended up staying at, and going to Jackson State. And it was, it was, he was this close to stepping on that plane. Who knows what you know his life would have been like? And that's what, that's how I live my life. About these moments, like you just never know. Like you can't be perfect, but every situation that we all go through, this our decisions to go right or to go left, it could, it just alters pretty much every it could change everything and so that's why i always say like think through things before you do anything think through things before you say something and those those situations that i've seen my dad go through and some that i've been through or um especially that one with my uncle uh, that that changed his life for for the better he got to stay close to home be by his family and play football at jackson state which i think was one of the highlights of his career thank you no problem thank you guys